Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. What a show today. Things are flying, breaking news. The Senate passed the Ukraine funding during the show. We talked with Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who's great. He's against all this. He's against McConnell. Uh, we talked to them at 820 this morning. We're going to play that uh, clip, that interview coming up in just a little bit. But before that, no one is talking about the potential secret session that Congress may engage in this week. Secret session. It would be the fifth time since 1830 that we engaged in a secret session. So the first segment of 7 o'clock, we talked with Bradley Jay about Section 702 of the FISA Court. It's very, I don't want to say it's confusing or complicated, but um, it, we, need a re, we need a rehash on exactly what this is. Because I thought that's what the secret session was going to be. But then we hear from Bradley that that may not even be what the secret session is. We don't even know what the secret session could be about. It could be about anything. We, may, we could never know what a secret session. What do you mean a secret session? It's crazy that there's such thing as a secret session. So that's what we talk about in this segment. So like, this is one of those things I'm like, am I the only one? Am I, am I too uptight about this? Apparently, maybe I'm the only one who thinks this is a problem. A secret session? What, are you kidding me? Coming up at 820, we're going to talk with Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin about the Ukraine funding that just passed the Senate. 70 votes, by the way. They just needed 60. They got 70. Unbelievable. Uh, so talk with Senator Johnson about that. He's very much against that. That's at 820 today coming up. But this is a secret session of the House. I I didn't even know there was such a thing as a secret session. What do you mean a secret session? What are you out of your minds? How can that be a thing? So this is from the Congressional Research Service. When the House or Senate goes into secret session, its chamber and galleries are cleared of everyone except members and officers and employees specified in the rules uh, by the presiding officer are essential to the session. After the chamber is cleared, the doors are closed. No one's allowed in. No one from the public. No one from the press. None of the congressional aides are allowed. We'll get to that in a minute. It's just the congressman and then a couple other select people who can explain uh, you what it's about. And we don't even know what it's about. So the House did this a couple times during the War of 1812. Since 1830, the House has done it four times. 1979. 1980, 1983, 2008, about FISA courts, about these these spying capabilities. That was 2008. And then apparently, potentially this week. We don't know. We don't have to know what they talked about. They don't have to tell us. I thought this was about 702, Section 702 of the FISA court. It might not be. Apparently, Bradley J. It could be about something totally different. We don't even know. We'll never. We don't need to know. Uh, I think we need to know, but they don't need to tell us. So we don't know what it's about. Uh, we don't know what is said. We don't know who says anything. We don't know how the events took place. We, if there's a vote, we don't know what the vote was or if a vote took place or who voted how. We don't know anything. You will not know how your congressman voted. And they're sworn to secrecy. They can't talk about it. We'll never know. Members, of sta- members and staff of both houses are prohibited from divulging information from secret sessions. In the Senate, staff are sworn to secrecy. In the House, staff must sign an oath not to reveal what happens in the secret session. You have to sign an oath, like a, like a non-disclosure agreement, for Congress. Violations of secrecy are punishable, uh, punishable by the disciplinary rules of a chamber. A member may be subject to a variety of punishments, including loss of seniority, a fine, 
reprimand, censure, or expulsion. Holy cow. I had no idea this was a thing. You okay with this? I'm trying to find a, I'm trying to think of a time when, when this could be appropriate. When, when could this be a thing that you're like, yes, they should indeed meet in secret. Keeping in mind, they didn't do it at all during World War II. They didn't do it during Vietnam, Korea. Nothing then was so secret. We have to have a secret session about. So if you want to be like, oh, well, maybe in a time of war, the president would need to talk to the Congress about, no. We've been through many wars. We didn't need to do it. So I hope your first question is, how is this even allowed? A secret session? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting this like trippy feeling right now. Even it's like no one's talking about it. Like no one in the media. I've seen anyone mention it even that it's a thing that's happening, let alone hmm, maybe this shouldn't happen. But it is allowed. Article 1, Section 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Here's what it says. Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings. Each house shall keep a journal of its proceedings. And from time to time, publish the same, accepting such parts as may in their judgment require secrecy. So our founders put this in there. They put it in their wisdom. I don't think I've ever, ever challenged our founding fathers' wisdom on a thing. I think, I think they've been, I think they were right every time. Honestly, maybe, maybe sure, sure they weren't. Well, maybe this is one of the, I don't know. They put it in there. They thought there could be a time when this would be necessary. So they can, they can do this. But should they? Should they? No transcript will be released. They they can later if they want. Uh, they're automatic. Well, so this this uh, document I'm reading says they the transcripts are automatically released thirty years later unless the clerk determines that they shouldn't be. So uh, nothing has to be revealed. The Senate actually does this more frequently, and maybe you could make the case that it's slightly more okay for the Senate to do it because the Senate is different. Since 1929, the Senate has had 57 secret sessions. Not just four. Generally for reasons of national security or for the consideration of impeachment questions. On December 20th, 2010, for example, the Senate met in closed session to discuss the ratification of the New START Treaty with Russia. In 2010, the Senate met in closed session to debate the impeachment of a federal judge. Six secret sessions were held during the impeachment trials of Clinton. In 97, the Senate met in secret to consider the Chemical Weapons Convention Treaty, and in 92 to debate the most favored nation status of China. Maybe the Senate, I'll give a little more leeway, not much more. They are different than the House, but the House, in theory at least, is us directly, right? Like our founding fathers, when they made the Senate, the, the Senate was supposed to represent the interests of the states, um, which is how it should be. We should go back to that, but... Uh, the House, that is directly we the people. We vote for our guys to go and vote on our behalf. And a secret session, we don't even know what they're voting on. 
let alone have any ability to hold them accountable. I'm just not okay with that. And I, I can't, I can't believe that something, even 702, section 702, it's so important that it has to be secretive. And World War II, nothing in World War II, nothing in Korea, nothing in Vietnam, nothing in Afghanistan, nothing in Iraq, like none of that. But the topic, assuming it is on section 702, this topic uh, must be secretive because it's about the surveillance of you. <laughs> all right, like that's the topic that we can't have anything talked about. We can't have this public at all. Why not? Why can't we make a public? Well, we're talking about the surveying of American citizens illegally. So we can't be talking about that out loud. Come on. 866 95 Patreon. 866 95 Patreon. Let's go to Dave, who's in Indiana. Dave, how you doing, sir? Fine. Fine, thank you. Good morning. And to you. Please tell me I'm not alone in uh, this not feeling good. No, I think what's really concerning here, Mike, is, is you know, this is yet again another tool uh, that the government can use, and they have a track record of weaponizing departments against the citizens, especially conservative-minded folks like us. So now think about they can illegally surveil emails, texts, and all that type of communication, figure out that, oh, hey, that guy's a MAGA conservative guy, and all of a sudden now my business is getting audited or I have a knock on the door at six in the morning and I got FBI standing at my door because I legally purchased a handgun last year. I mean, that's the real slippery slope here. And that is really scary that uh, I think left or right people should be worried about. Now, if you're on the left, of course, there's less risk of the government being weaponized against you. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we already know that the feds asked Bank of America, maybe other banks too, Bank of America to ask for any transaction that has the word MAGA or Trump or uh, things that took place around January 6th. Also, anyone who bought guns, uh, who, was it, who was in D.C. on January 6th. Like, if you ever bought a gun and you were in D.C. on January 6th, like, to get all those financial transactions that took place. And Bank of America just handed them right over. Um, but Yeah, and, and, and Mike, now, now think they take it even another, you know, this talk about the slippery slope. It can go even further, right? Let's say my emails, you know, don't have anything political related, um, but they realize that, oh, I drive, a, I drive an F-250 and I live in the country. So, oh, well, that guy must be a back of country guy. So now we're going to go like they can get to that level of granularity, which is really scary. Yeah, Megan, Dave, I appreciate the call. Thanks for caring. And they can't, they, they, they can't, they can get you on a, like you're breaking the law right now. You're breaking the law somehow. There's something you're doing right now that's breaking the law. You're probably tailgating, first of all. So give a little more distance. You know, it's, it's supposed to be a car length every 10 miles per hour. I don't, I don't know if that's true in every state. I remember this from my driver's license. A, a car length for every 10 miles an hour? You're going 70 miles per hour down the highway? Are you seven car lengths behind the car in front of you? There's no chance. It's impossible. So you're breaking the law right now. They could pull you over for something. They'll get you for something. You're, you're at home. You're breaking the law. There's something in your house that is illegal. They'll get you if they want to. No question. Uh, go to Steve, who's in Pennsylvania. Hmm, this could be interesting. Steve, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, and yourself? Doing real good. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind here? Yeah, I, hey, I, I bet you it's those uh, people that took the mattress tags off their off their exactly. pillows. That's <laughs> it. Oh, guilty as charged, FBI. Hey, so you know, let's think about what actually originates in the House: budgetary stuff and an impeachment. I wonder if they're talking about what to do with our president and they don't want the public. Hmm. 
And the 702 is just a ruse. Everybody's talking about that to keep them off, keep their uh, eyes off the prize. That's very interesting. I've not thought about that one. Uh, Steve, I appreciate that. Jerry in Florida has a similar thought. Jerry, how are you? Hey, how are you doing today, man? Real good. What, what do you think about secret sessions? I'm thinking about 25th Amendment things. That's what I'm thinking. After everything that's come out lately about, especially with the latest report, uh, not being able to prosecute because of his cognitive abilities, I'm really thinking that um, they are sitting there talking about that. That's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I, Jerry, thanks for that. Never thought of that. I, I think I got to go back. Darn it. We never talked about this with Ken. Uh, Ken's our, our uh, legal analyst guy. Um, we got to talk about the process of the 25th Amendment. I think it starts in his cabinet. I think it's his cabinet that starts the 25th Amendment process. And then the House has a role later. So I don't I like I like we all heads that I like this, but why would that require like why couldn't the Democrats just meet on their own about that? And what kind of vote would be necessary regarding this? I like where the heads at, but I don't know if that's it. Very interesting. Plus, as we talked about last week when this all happened, I guess it was on Friday or was it Monday? No, it was Friday. We we got to talk about it on Friday. It was Thursday night when the press conference was heard. Um I don't think the Republicans want to do anything with Joe Biden. <laughs> like I think, I think the best play for the Republicans is to just let that one lie. Let that old dog lie and let him crumble and let him fail. I don't think you want to kick him out. Right? Now there's, there's, the, there's the political reasons why you don't want to kick him out. And then it's like, holy cow, this guy's running the country for the next nine months. Like, is that safe? Right? So, so there's like that. You got to balance here. But politically, at least, I don't think Republicans want to get rid of him. Um, okay. We'll see. 866-95-PATRIOT. Go to Stanley in Missouri. Stanley, what's going on, sir? Uh, thanks for taking my call, Mike. Uh, yeah, uh, real quick. The 25th Amendment requires his cabinet as well as the vice president to write letters stating they no longer feel he is competent, and then it goes to the House for a vote. Very good. So, Thank I you. Mean, I don't really see how they would be debating that. As far as why our founding fathers would have put something like that in there, I'm kind of like you. I, I rarely have I ever went against them, but I would think that they maybe only envisioned secret for acts against enemies that didn't need to be publicized, you know, whether a declaration of war or any kind of act against, uh, you know, a foreign enemy or something that didn't need to be publicized before it was done. That would be the only thing I could see a secret session being okay. Yeah, and even me... then, I'm even then I'm not a hundred percent on board with it. No, no, I appreciate that, Stanley. And I like I like your instincts there too. That's, yeah, that's good. So I want to go back and find the War of eighteen twelve because they did it a couple times during the War of eighteen twelve, and those were our founding fathers, more or less, right? It was like right after our founding generation. So um, I'm curious what their justification was during the War of eighteen twelve, and that was a little different because they were here, right? The enemy was. Like, like they burned the Capitol, right? So this, so maybe they felt um, they needed to keep the public out because who knew like, there's enemies around us. I don't know. So I want to do more research on that. We'll see if this happens. And I like your point there because like even declaring war, I came across, I was looking for some Trump clips, a particular Trump clip, and I came across an old debate from 2008 with, with, with old Ron Paul up on the stage. And Ron Paul was talking about war with someone. I forget who it even was back in 2008. It was 2008 he ran, right? 
and he's like, he's like, uh, listen, I'm totally against this. You guys are a bunch of hawks. <laughs> Y'all work for the deep state. I didn't use the word deep state then, but you know, you're right. And he, he's like, but listen, if you think that this war is such a great idea, all I ask of you, I beg of you, please declare war the old fashioned way with a vote in Congress. Please, I beg of you. And there's Mitt standing there. They like laugh at him. <laughs> so even declarations of war should be done openly because we are the ones who are doing it. We, the people, right? Of course, but Stanley, I appreciate that. I appreciate your, even, even then, I don't love it. All right, we got a lot more to do. Phones are full. Take some more phone calls and go back. 866-95-PATRIOTS. Secret session of Congress potentially this week. This would be the fifth time since 1830 we had a secret session. Talk more about that. Come back. Uh, we'll talk about the NATO outrage, the latest outrage. Oh, there's going to be nine more months of these until the election, and then four more years of these made-up lies. We're not going to debunk all of them forever. It would take it would take all of our time. Uh, but the ones that seem to be permeating through the echo chamber, uh, we will take the time to debunk and give the full context to it because no one else will. And then Senator Ron Johnson is going to be here about the Senate vote where uh, – 70 senators just voted to give Ukraine $60 billion. Also Israel and Taiwan some money too, but $60 billion for Ukraine. Now it goes to the House. Speaker Johnson says, I said, I got the quote here. Um, it was kind of like, mm. House Republicans were crystal clear from the very beginning of discussions that any so-called national security supplemental legislation must recognize that national security be begins at our own border. So it's like, hey, if you if you want us to give money to Ukraine, we got to deal with our own border first. They didn't properly, so it seems like he's saying no to the Ukraine money, but it's up to Speaker Johnson now. During the show, the Senate voted to give $60 billion to Ukraine. 70, 70 senators voted for it. Hopefully DOA in the House, although I'm not as confident that it is like I was about the immigration side of this bill. Um, so we talked to Speaker, excuse me, Speaker, Senator Ron Johnson about why so many Republicans even support giving $60 billion more to Ukraine. Senator Johnson, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Mike. Hope you are too. Thanks for giving us the insight here. Was the vote you took this morning the most important vote you'll ever take as a U.S. senator? It was kind of crunchable, but no. Um, you know, when, when you consider we're $35 trillion in debt, and so many of my colleagues that will vote it one more time to further mortgage children's future, I think those are pretty consequential votes as well. But, but it's an important vote, and from my standpoint, a, a rather disappointing one, when uh, it was pretty well understood you know, the American public expects a secure border. They're not getting one from President Biden or his uh, Democrat allies in Congress. Uh, they're for an open border. They cause this problem. And when President Biden proposed this uh, security supplemental, as you said, for Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan, and at the time it was going to be $14 billion, not to secure the border, but to hire more agents to more rapidly and effectively and efficiently process and disperse illegal migrants throughout this country. Now, Republicans stood up and said, no, we're, we're going to work on behalf of the American public, and we're going to make sure 
that we utilize that Ukraine funding the president wants as leverage to force him to use the executive authority he already has to secure the border, like President Trump did. And that was our understanding. That's what we all we talked about in the, our Senate conference time and time again is, you know, we have a lawless administration. Uh, this president, you can't trust him to follow through on any agreement. So we need to do something like, for example, my suggestion was tie the funding specifically to border metrics, you know, thresholds that he has to continue to get those numbers down as he gets, uh, let's say, $5 billion a month. Uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, Leader McConnell, this, he was the mastermind. This was his strategy of negotiating in secret with Democrats who want an open border, who caused the problem that they weren't looking to secure the border. They were looking for political cover. And unbeknownst to us, Leader McConnell told his chief negotiator, James Langford, that border metrics threshold, that, that enforcement mechanism, wasn't even on the table. Mm. So that, why? to me, why was not? a real breach, and which is why a lot of us are really speaking out against uh, Leader McConnell and, and his ham-handed approach, uh, creating this debacle, quite honestly, for the American public in, in not extracting border security uh, out of this uh, Ukraine deal. Yeah. So I want, I want to talk specifically about Ukraine itself, but let, let's just focus on this one more time. So so maybe I'm making this up and maybe you have more specifics, but uh, hey, Biden, if we get a number of illegal immigrants across the border down to 2000 a day, then Ukraine can get this much money. And if we get it down to 1000, then Ukraine gets this much money, something like that. Is that what a metric would look like? Precisely. You know, we do it in business all the time, you know, just performance metrics. And in this case, we're looking for numbers to come down and make funding contingent on that uh, entirely possible. By the way, this funding is, is not even going to be spent all the way till I think 2025 and, and maybe even to 2026. So they didn't need the money all, all up front. This would have worked mm, perfectly well. Okay. Um, Why was that not even again, on the table you know, for negotiating? Our leader, I think just betrayed all of us and didn't even put that on the table. Why not? Because his top priority was getting funding for Ukraine. And the, the only reason you brought up the border is under pressure from the American public and as a result from uh, members of his conference. But uh, his his heart obviously wasn't in it or he wouldn't have. Uh, in, you know, Senator Murphy, who's the negotiator for Democrats, uh, said, Mr. McConnell, his his staff was at the table every time they're in the room. He wrote the bill and that bill was a monstrosity of a Rube Goldberg immigration bill. It wasn't border security. And my big problem, we don't talk enough about this, is by setting a discretionary threshold at 4,000 and only giving the president the authority to stop processing asylum claims if it reaches 4,000 and only give it for three years. And you're literally codifying the reduction, the weakening of the president's authority that he has under current law. So it was worse than doing nothing, even though it was a big bipartisan achievement. Passing that bill would have been worse than doing nothing, which oh, is why, great. including Mitch McConnell, voted against it. Yeah, I love that line because because a lot of people say, "Oh, well, at least you do. You got to do something." And it's like, no, no, that's a, that's a terrible argument for <laughs> for doing it. Wow, at least it's something. Now, sometimes something's worse than nothing. Um, so there's two different things here, and I'd, let's spend less time on the border and more on Ukraine, if you don't mind. But but why sure. Mitch McConnell's dismissal of the border? There's two questions. Why Why so little attention on the border and why so much passion for Ukraine? But let's start with the border. Why, why so little attention there from him? All I can say is that his top priority was uh, funding Ukraine. 
I, I can't explain it. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, you've got a, the American public strongly in support of closing the border because they realize this open border policy is a clear and present danger. It facilitates the multi-billion-dollar business model of some of the most evil people on the planet, drug, mm-hmm. human, sex traffickers. That's what the American people want us to do. They expect us to do this. So I, I can't explain it. I'm just telling you what happened. Yeah, okay. So so the other side, why so much passion for that border way over on the other side of the world? Also can't totally explain it. Listen, I think most Americans have a great deal of sympathy for and want to help the Ukrainian people. Um, everybody realizes Putin is a evil war criminal, and they want to see him lose. Uh, the point I made last night on the floor of the Senate as well as on the Elon Musk's uh, faces event was that Vladimir Putin will not lose the war. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, he, he losing is existential for Vladimir Putin. Russia has four times the population, a much larger industrial base. They're, they're cranking out four and a half million of these 155 millimeter shells that they're firing about 10,000 a day in comparison to the West's capability of producing less than a million a year which is why Ukraine's firing about 2,000 a day in their bloody uh, French warfare stalemate. So the point I was trying to make is the only way this war ends is in a settlement. And every day that goes by, more Ukrainians die, more more Russian conscripts die. And I I take no joy in that. These are young men yanked out of their villages, sent to the front line as cannon fodder for Putin. Um, and more of Ukraine gets destroyed. So every day that goes by, the, the settlement is going to be awful regardless. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. So U.S. policy ought to be directed toward doing everything we can to end that war. Yeah. Is there any talk of, is there any talk of a settlement? Is there any talk of an end? Not out of this administration. Again, they're under, they're under the fantasy or they're just willing to lie to the American public that you know, Ukraine can win this thing. And it's just, just give them $60 billion more and they can punch on through and and so uh, uh, convinced Putin to, to give up and go home. Hey, listen, I, I, I'm the only guy who was at, uh, was the only member of Congress who was at uh, President Zelensky's inauguration. I went back a couple months later with Senator Chris Murphy. Uh, what I can tell you is President Zelensky, back then in 2019, he wanted to do a peace deal with Putin then. This is when Putin had already illegally annexed Crimea and was in control of eastern Ukraine. President Zelensky knew he couldn't dislodge Russia from the, those Ukrainian territories, so he wanted he wanted to sue for peace. He, he wanted mm-hmm. to get that behind him so he can move on trying to get rid of corruption in Ukraine and, and build up Ukraine's economy. You know, there's he's actually less likely, I think, today to dislodge Russia from either Crimea or eastern Ukraine. So, you know, it's got it's got to be a peace settlement. Again, I hate that. I mean, I, I wish we could defeat Putin, but he's got nuclear weapons. Uh, Again, he's got the industrial base. It's not in the cards. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, you're you're a quitter. You're giving up. You're you're giving up. You're you're gonna just sit back and lose to a dictator. Unlike Chuck Schumer, who's a winner, you're just uh, you're giving up here. Why are you giving up and quitting? Because I'm a realist, and and anybody who thinks that Vladimir Putin's going to lose this war hasn't read history. They they obviously aren't aware of the fact that uh, something like 1.1 million Russians died defending Stalingrad. Yes. They pushed back Napoleon. I thought it was very interesting about Tucker Carlson's uh, interview. And let's face it, again, Putin's an evil war criminal, and he's not telling you the full truth. He's not talking about, for example, the Chechnya apartment bombings. But 
I thought it was very interesting the way Vladimir Putin spent a fair amount of time relaying Russian history. You know, how, how, how fervently they will defend the motherland. Um, you have to take that in consideration. You have, to, you have to be a realist about these things. You can't, you can't try and conduct war or public policy from a standpoint of, of fantasies. Mm. And that's what I think too many people uh, who, who voted for $60 billion, uh, they're just engaging in, in non-realistic uh, terms. Do you think, like let's say the Democrats here who support this, or even the Republicans, I mean, it's got 70 votes, so a bunch of Republicans voted for this, 20 of them, I guess, um, or 19. Do they think we can win, or do they not even think that far ahead? It's let's just do this today. Well, there, you know, one of the, there's two, there's one really depraved justification for this, and, you know, this is, McConnell talked about this all the time, his colleagues. This money really isn't going over to Ukraine. I mean, this money is going to our military-industrial complex. This is going to create jobs in your states, which I, I think is a really depraved justification. The other justification is very similar to justification for how we lost 58,000 Americans in Vietnam, is we have to be involved in that or else there will be a domino effect. And communism will gobble up country after country after country, will reign supreme, and that, in the end— will threaten our homeland. Uh, wasn't true back then. It's, it's not true now. I, I mean, I, I think Putin has probably learned that he couldn't even take over Ukraine when he's not coming up against all of NATO's weaponry. I, I don't think he'd have much of an appetite for a NATO country where he would come up against Article 5, 5 and feel the full fury of, of NATO armament and NATO commitment. So, again, I, a lot of his military has been degraded. That's true. Uh, I think he's been spanked pretty hard here. Uh, I, I don't see just uh, you know a domino effect if uh, if you know we try and get a peaceful solution to this. Again, I hate to use the word peaceful. A settlement, an end to the war, is what yeah. we need here. Yeah, but the Dan Crenshaw argument, as you part articulated, is listen. These are our old weapons anyway. We might as well. We got to get rid of them anyway. So we might as well give them to Ukraine, and then we get to make new ones, and we get to hold back Russia. It's a win-win, they say. Well, there's, there's some truth to what he's saying there. But one thing I pointed out in, in the uh, Spaces event last night is I, I, I just read uh, Elon Musk's book or the book about him and he's talking about the idiot index. And there's a fair amount of idiot indexing occurring in our military industrial complex. Those 155 millimeter shells, Russia produces those things for 600 bucks a pop. We charge, or we get charged, five to six thousand, <laughs> ten times an order magnitude more is what we pay for those very same shells uh, that are really the, the the weapon being used in this bloody stalemate. So again, we spent eight hundred eighty some billion dollars on defense. We are not getting our money's worth out of that. Mm. And of course, there's very little desire to conduct oversight here in Congress. That's just spend the money, plunder, mortgage our kids' future. Uh, exactly what, by the way, President Eisenhower warned us about in his farewell address. He talked about the military-industrial complex. He also talked about and warned us against plundering our children's future, but we're doing it with reckless abandon right now. Uh, I was reading from the Center for American Progress, five reasons why we have to support Ukraine. Um, and I don't know when they wrote this, but they were talking about $77 billion. So what are we, like $200 billion in now or something like that with this next next uh, either way, yeah, they not, say, not quite, but yeah, you know, we're 160, 170 billion, 180. Yeah. 
it'll 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 keep going uh they say what's the big deal and i love this coming from from like the left like the far left especially who's like anti-war you know what i mean like that's always been their thing and like like you know big big uh, machine big, big military they hate all that stuff but they're fine they say this amount represents a mere 0.65 percent of total federal spending over the past two years so it's just it's a it's a pittance and i hear that and i'm like well i don't know geez 0.65 percent that's kind of a lot for, <laughs> for ukraine but they don't think that's a big deal senator well as ever dirksen famously said you know a billion here a billion there and pretty soon you're talking about real money yep. and unfortunately now we're talking trillions and you, you can justify any kind of spending there. It's, it's, you know, any spending is going to be a small fraction of the whole. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, before the pandemic, uh, the federal government spent $4.4 trillion in total. Then we went on a massive uniparty spending spree during the pandemic, and we never, we never reduced it. So we're spending $6.4 trillion, mm. spending $2 trillion more than we spent only four years ago. Wow. $2 trillion. And that was our basically deficit last year. Two trillion dollars this is clearly unsustainable there is at some point in time uh when this can't go on it won't and there's going to be a massive debt crisis and it's going to be really ugly yeah you're one of the few who care uh last point about ukraine specifically do you agree with jd vance's assessment that uh, part of this whether intentionally or not it could be a setup against president trump to impeach him again in 2025 well there's no doubt it's going to hamper a future president's ability to do a peace deal and stop spending the money. Um, you know, they, they're, they're appropriating this thing well into next president's term. Mm. And we, we saw, already saw how they, pre, they impeached President Trump under some pretty flimsy conditions last time around under, based on Ukraine, which, by the way, didn't do Ukraine any favors. I mean, all these Democrats who are, you know, Ukraine first, um, they did a lot of damage to Ukraine in dragging Ukraine into an impeachment, a political impeachment of President Trump. That, that did not help strengthen Ukraine. That weakened Ukraine, their mm-hmm. impeachment. So, uh, no, I know I, I don't uh, dis- disagree with the J.D. Vance's warning in, in terms of how this could be a trap for the future. Just any any insight you have or any conversations you've had with your fellow Republicans as to why they feel so strongly about their borders versus ours. Because that's the big thing, Senator. I mean, you know what? Like every American, every person listening on Breitbart News Daily, everyone who goes to Breitbart.com, that's the. That's like, what are you doing, guys? Like our border first. Why don't they get that? Well, it's the same old fear mongering. You know, whether, whether it's climate change, whether it's pandemic, whether it's uh, you know engaging in in foreign entanglements and wars overseas. You know, if, if we don't defeat this evil enemy over here, it's going to come to our shore, and we'll be having to fight them here. And again, another pretty depraved justification for this is uh, you know we're degrading russia's military and we're not losing any of america's sons and daughters mm. we're, we're just destroying ukraine we're, we're just uh, you know reducing their population of uh, you know young men I mean, the, the average age of a ukrainian soldier now is 43 years you know, we have people in Zelensky's inner circle say yeah you can send us all these weapons but we don't have the men to use them Ooh, do you fear these are comments, the realities that people ought to take into serious consideration, figure a different path forward than just throwing another $60 billion, feeling the flames of that bloody stalemate. Are there any controls on this money? Any like, or, do we, or is it just going right to corruption? Or what? Is there any metrics on that to make sure it's not spent poorly? Oh, but, you know, they claim there is, you know, first of all, if you're supplying weapons, you can't, you can't spend the money. I mean, you're supplying weapons, but are we controlling that? 
Are these weapons being sold in the black market? I mean, I, I would highly doubt that we have 100% control over the weapons being supplied or over any money being offered as well. Uh, but we're told, I mean, this is the tightest control we've ever had on anything, which probably is not saying much, right? Mm. Um, Senator, what do you think about this uh, potential secret session that the House may engage in this week? Uh, this is only, this, they've only done it four times since 1830. Uh, this could be the fifth. Now, you guys in the Senate, you guys have done this more often. You've done it 57 times since in the 1900s. Um, what do you think about secret sessions? Well, quite honestly, I'm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. There, there's <laughs> not too many things other than, uh, you know, McConnell's secret negotiations. There's plenty, there's plenty of backroom deals that occur. But yeah, in the end, this is a secret session. So, so no public would be allowed in, no press. No AIDS. Uh, it was done in 1979, 1980, 1983, 2008. We think it's going to be about Section 702, uh, but we're not. We don't even know uh, if there's a vote. The vote's not public, <laughs> uh, and they're going to vote on. They're going to. They voted on this in 2006, and they denied it. They said, "No, we're not going to do a secret session. It just takes a majority to do it." In 2006, they said, "No, we're not going to do it. It's about some Iraq war, uh, whatever." So. Uh, yeah, so the so secret session. I, I feel like I, I'm against secret session, Senator. That's my bold stance. Yeah, I mean, we're, we should be an open society. Um, we, we, we way overclassify material. I, I think mm. the American public has a right to know. Listen, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to there, there are certain things that involve national security you don't want the world to know about. I get that. But I think we are way overclassifying information material. And by and large, you know, my bias is always going to be toward transparency. Uh, last question. What do we do with Mitch McConnell here, Senator? Well, I was one of the individuals led the effort to replace him at, in this Congress. Uh, Rick Scott uh, graciously agreed to challenge him so we could you know, tally up the votes. Unfortunately, uh, throughout this Congress, uh, Rick got 10 votes and Leader McConnell got uh, the rest. So is it money? I, this like, case, again, he, he betrayed the trust. This, this is a real breach. Again, I don't know if it's going to sway enough people, but uh, uh, there will be a challenge next time there's a vote for leader of the Republicans in the Senate. Is it just money? Because I'm not in this world. I don't know how this game works. But I look at someone like Pelosi, and you're like, how does she wield power? Like, like what in the world? And like, how could she do anything? And same thing with McConnell. I mean, the man's had strokes on live TV for love of people. And you look at her, you're like, how can this guy still be wielding so much power? Is it just because they have so many connections and so much money? Well, I can tell you just in the last two weeks debating this Ukraine bill twice, uh, Leader McConnell brought up uh, exactly how much money he's raised through the Senate Leadership Fund. And it's okay. hundreds of millions. And you know that, that obviously uh, impacts some people's judgment. You can tell by our conversation here, it doesn't impact me in the slightest. <laughs> Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Uh, have you ever had a burger off between Culver's and In-N-Out? Or what a burger? Have we ever like finalized this once and for all in the Senate? Well, it is absolutely Culver's. It is absolutely Culver's, and Culver's has the frozen uh, custard to go with it. Culver's yeah. is a fabulous restaurant. Yeah, we highly went... recommend it. In, in Wisconsin now, they've got Walleyes back, which is fabulous. I've, Wait, what is this? What is this restaurant? But in 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 Wisconsin, you have Walleye, and it is great. 
Uh, so, so we moved from San Diego and the kids were all about in and out. We went every Sunday after church and then they were very sad. There's no in and outs in Tennessee. So we're like, I don't know. Let's try this place. Culver's, I guess. I don't know. And we walked in. And I was like, I think I'm in Wisconsin all of a sudden. Something, something we like teleported to Wisconsin and sure enough, it's a Wisconsin place. So uh, they love it. The kids love the Culver's Senator. So you have one vote or I guess three votes from the Slater family, Slater family kids. Um, Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Take care. Appreciate your fight. I'm American made. I got American parts. I got American Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Uh, I'm off on Thursday and Friday this week, so tomorrow we're going to be talking to Dr. Sebastian Gorka at 8 o'clock. Instead of Thursday, we'll do it tomorrow, and it'll mess up your week. Because you'll be like, wait, now I think it's Thursday, but it's really only Wednesday. Tomorrow, Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily, spread the word. Apologize.